Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Canadian Gamers. I'm here with Steven, as per usual, and we're actually doing this podcast quite a bit early, and I just want to give a little disclaimer as to why that is. First off, my school officially begins on... Wait, wait, wait. Let me just boot up my calendar app. It, on the 21st to the 24th, I have my orientation. And then on the 25th is the first day of school. Dun, dun, dun. So we usually do these podcasts on Saturday. But that's obviously going to have to change. So Stephen will finally get his wish. And I will be recording these on the evening of either a Friday or a Thursday or something like that. But today, Stephen, was basically you said that uh, that you were kind of screwed in terms of time. And so we decided to do this quite a bit early. So if there's any, like, you know, gargantuan news or, or anything like Stephen uh, with that Philip guy, if something else happens that he becomes obsessed with, uh, I'm sure we'll figure something out. But uh, that's it. So take it away, man. Yeah, I wanted to do... Uh a general gamers or fanboys today and talk about the updates on Philip and stuff like that. But I realized that by the time this would air on YouTube, there probably would be more to the story already. And I didn't feel like doing a really out of date story. That doesn't usually stop us, but today I don't know why. And I'm on vacation next week. By the time this airs on YouTube, my vacation will be already over, which is sad. But it's all, I didn't want to do a podcast that Saturday because I have to get back to work. Also, this is the last Saturday today where we had a babysitter in the morning. Usually we do this a little bit earlier, but by next week, uh, our babysitter is back to school. So I will no longer be able to do this at the regular time. So that's why I thought today was a perfect day to do this and get ahead because I know us, we would have been in trouble next week and would have had to rely on Ahmed or God help us, Tim, to do this. Oh, man. That so, would have been the end of times. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, why not do it today and why not continue the uh, Jared Nichol Gaming History, which was an amazing podcast that we did a few months back, maybe almost a year now. I don't remember. And so this will be episode one hundred one of Canadian Gamers, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna continue interviewing Jared. I'm gonna stay in the corner here and let the spotlight shine on Jared for the remainder of this uh, episode with my questioning. And I believe the last time we call uh, we talked about your history, we were just about to enter the arcade area of about Street Fighter Two ish thing because I think we were. Pretty much done with the uh, SNES Genesis era, although we barely scratch it. I think we we talked a bit about that, and I did not necessarily want to revisit that. But I wanted to ask you what it was like back then in 1992, 91, 93 in Montreal in the arcade scene, because especially me, a bit younger than you. And not living in a big city, I never got to experience that part of gaming. Well, arcades, arcades were, were always big in big cities and in little cities and like all over the world, basically. 
in around the early 80s and I know I know what you're you what you want me to talk about and I will get there very very quickly but I just want to say that for like even like little towns like Hearst oh my goodness I am positive that at their local bars and stuff like that that they had at least one little tiny arcade between 1978 let's say and 1985 I'm positive because I've never been to a bar in my life at that particular point in time that didn't have some kind of an arcade sort of setup like not 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 like like a dedicated arcade but just like something off in the corner it was like everywhere you went it was the norm now as time went on slowly but surely dedicated arcades just died out like they just fizzled away because NES was this ridiculously you know successful platform that just changed everything it really did it really really changed the game but in montreal we had amusement 2000 we had jillies we had a couple of others by uh, on saint catherine and yeah we had a few we had a few big ones the one that i used to go to was this place called jillies it was sort of like a a pool hall slash arcade establishment. I mean, this was the place that actually brought in three projection televisions with three Neo Geos that you could rent on an hourly basis for something like $25 an hour or something crazy like that. And I remember like being like, this is the greatest because it was, it was so unbelievably unique. But anyway, so in the late 80s, early 90s, like I said, it, it had slowly started to change. The landscape of arcade games had changed. We were seeing a lot more beat-em-ups and things of that nature. So stuff like, um, oh, what's it, uh, like Fatal, Final Fight, Fatal Fury, all that kind of stuff. You were starting to see more of those types of games. But in, yeah, 91, 92, whenever Street Fighter came out, that's when everything changed. All of a sudden, there was this huge surgence of popularity in the arcades. Like, everyone was there. And I will never forget the day I went to Jilly's, and they had just wheeled in off the truck this fighting game, and the arcade was just jammed with people. And that wasn't normal. Like, it really wasn't. What was normal at that time was you had people going to the bar, and you had people going to play pool, and then you had me and a few others that went in this, like, back room type of thing where they had a bunch of arcades, but that was it. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, overflowing with people, but that day is when everything changed. That's when I was like, what the hell is this? Like, my usual group of friends, we all went down and we couldn't even get into the the back room. And they had actually lined people out outside of the, the, the well, bar or whatever the hell you want to call it. And there was lineups, like, going out around the block, like, all over the place. And I was like, what the hell is this? And so we said, you know what? Screw this. So we went downtown to St. Catherine and... Again, there were people everywhere lining up to play this particular game. And when I finally got my my shot, you know, you went up, you finally waited in line, and you, you saw what this, like, fuss was all about. 
It was nothing quite like it. Because even at home, yeah, you were playing multiplayer games with like your, your brother or sister or family or friends or whatever. It really wasn't the same thing. It, it's Street Fighter 2 legitimately created multiplayer as you know it today. That competitive multiplayer that so many of you love in Call of Duty and all that jazz, it really originated there. And yeah, there was multiplayer games long before Street Fighter, but not like this. This was like you were actually proving yourself to other people. And it was it was an amazing experience, especially putting your token down on the front of the... Um, the arcade cab to signify like you were the next challenger. It was, it was awesome. And what was so funny is I went maybe a year. Yeah. Probably up until the SNES version of the game was released. I went thinking that this game was only a single, uh, sorry, a multiplayer game. I had no idea that there was a single player game in street fighter. I thought all it was, was one player against another player because that's how like, that's how many people were actually playing this game. You never actually got to see just one dude going through the game. And that's a little history lesson for you that you may not uh, have known. And the other big one, because you were saying about like the arcade scene, after, after this happened, that's when we saw a huge influx of people to arcades. So, like I said, by this point in time, arcades were really, like, really relegated over to are um, like bars and things like that. So because of that, these weren't exactly the best place for children. You know what I mean? Like having some weird, um, you know, I don't want to say prostitutes, but you had some weird people, okay? Like, yeah, drug dealers, prostitutes, and all kinds of stuff happening at these things. And now suddenly you found yourself full of children, which wasn't exactly the the ideal, so anyways, what ended up happening was a lot of new arcades started popping up all over the place, really focusing on just the video games. And it's sad, but only one is still around, which is that, uh, what is it, uh, Amusement 2000 is the last one that is actually still exists. All the other ones are, are closed, and it's sort of sad. But anyways, as more people started going to the arcades, and some of these CD people or characters, you know, started moving away. I'll never forget when Mortal Kombat came in. That was the next time where I had seen like lineups of people all over the place. And to this day, I still don't understand how anyone knew that these games were coming out. I know there was like EGM and other magazines like that, but it's still weird. I, I don't know. I just, I always thought, I just thought it was weird. So anyways, I go and I figure, oh, you know, maybe it's another Street Fighter game or whatever. And there were some posters that had been put up saying, like, you know, like, nothing can prepare you and all this kind of crap. And when I finally got up to the arcade cab to see, like, well, what's what was this fuss all about? And I saw all the blood and stuff. And I'll never forget, like, all of us were just like, what the hell is this? And it's so funny because in hindsight, that game was so slow and just cumbersome. You had a block button, for God's sakes. It's, it's funny thinking back now, like, it wasn't even that good of a game, but because it had blood, that, that really changed everything. How were your, uh, how would you say you fared in Street Fighter 2 against other people? Because I've heard stories, uh, well, when I said that, I listened recently to, uh, Colin's 
and his brother Dagan's podcast called Not Back, and they had an episode dedicated to Street Fighter 2, and they said that when where they grew up, they were pretty good at it, and then one day they went to, I believe, L.A. for a trip, and they faced the guys there, and they couldn't even get a hit on them. What was your skill level in Street Fighter 2 in the arcades? Okay, in my arcade, it was very good. So, like, at Jilly's, by the time, like, by the time you actually started to learn the characters, understand how the mechanics worked, I was, I was pretty good. But only in my local arcade. If I went downtown Montreal, forget about it. I had, like, four or five-year-old kids that would just wreck my face. There was also a uh, pool what? hall. Yeah. Little kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the way it worked, man, back then. You had like five year old kids that you you didn't understand. Like you just didn't understand. Like how how did they how are they so amazing <laughs> at at these games? That was the the sort of racist joke that started happening after, which was like, Oh, if you're Asian and a kid just move on. Like don't don't <laughs> bother putting your your token because you're gonna get destroyed, and yeah, it's racist and it's stereotypical and this and that and everything else. But I mean, I lived it, and so it was it was true. If you went downtown downtown Montreal, and you saw a kid playing Street Fighter Two, you you just played something else because you would get absolutely annihilated by these kids. Did you ever see one of those, I don't know if yours were always uh, hooked up together, but I heard that some Street Fighter 2 consoles were designed so that you would get both arcade cabinets separately and you, they, would, they would be hooked up and you could play versus that way. Did you ever see that? I've never saw that in what you might be thinking of. I did see it many years later when Tournament Edition was released. Uh, by that point though the arcades were already long dead and that's where you, what they would do is they take the CPU uh, sorry, CPS2 cart and you could basically take like a LAN cable and connect one to the next to the next so you could have like say eight arcade cabs together and you could actually do a tournament like that it was pretty wild and it, it's like a custom version of street fighter 2 but outside that i never saw i never experienced uh, cabinets like connected to have verses from one machine to the next that i never experienced and you were talking earlier about uh, amusement 2000 something like that did you yep. go go there recently have you gone back I'm i have curious not about gone... the state it is today because i've been to a uh, the Wacky Wings. I don't know if you know what it is a few months ago. And they have this silly arcade stuff in the back, but it's not really meant to, it's not really arcade games. It's just meant for you to rack up like tokens and stuff like that for really crappy prize at the end of the day. It, I wonder if most of these arcades are still classic arcades like they were back then or they're basically just iPhone games now. Well, I haven't gone in, in a long, long time. The last time I went, I got invited by a friend of mine maybe two years ago to go watch a tournament because um, Amusement 2000 still holds uh, tournaments. So at night they take out their Tekken, um, their Tekken and you know Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat cabs, 
and they actually have like a local fight club type of thing where people can you know still go even to this very day you can still go and participate in and you can win like a thousand dollars will be like the award or sometimes a couple hundred bucks sometimes it's an arcade stick sometimes you know whatever and so they still do that i know that i know that that still happens but in terms of the actual games that they have i'm fairly confident you're gonna have a couple of like dance games racing games things of that nature i wouldn't expect like modern day games that have been translated uh, to arcade like you'd see in uh, Japan, like with Street Fighter V and things like that. I, I doubt that very much. Okay, so so let's move on now from arcades. Uh, let's go to the, I guess it would be the N64, PlayStation 1, and Saturn era. Oh boy, oh boy. And this, took, this was interesting with you because I believe you discovered... So mature games you weren't probably into before, or maybe because they weren't very, they didn't really exist before. But maybe walk us through that because I believe the PlayStation One was out in '94 in Japan, and I'm not sure when it was here in the Saturn either. But I know you probably have some ideas of those. Okay, so first thing that's important to note is that this was the generation where, like, I was working. So the previous generations, like I had already started to buy some Super NES games, Genesis games, TurboGrafx-16 games, things like that. However, this was like my generation when I say that like it was all me. There were no more gifts. There were no more, you know, like saving up money or any of that stuff. The PlayStation 1, Sega Saturn, and N64 were the very first consoles that I would say... That they were mine, you know, like I bought them with my work money. I did like, like I, like I said, technically it would have been the, the previous generation for some of it, but this really was the generation. Like I was there during that famous Saturn day, whenever the hell that was. And I picked up the Sega Saturn. Like I was, I was, that was me. And it was really cool to be able to do that. Um, and the same with the PlayStation 1 and the same with the N64. Now, what you need to know is going into this generation, I was the biggest Nintendo fanboy alive. I, I freaking adored Nintendo. They could do no wrong. All the hype that Nintendo Power had generated, like about the Ultra 64, was like... Honestly, it was like the second coming of Christ to me. And I know that's awful to say that, uh, especially if you're religious. But I just want it like, seriously, the impact to me, I, I can't be, it can't be understated. Like, I was legitimately freaking out over, over the N64. Like, I, I could not wait for it. The problem was, and this people tend to forget, is that Nintendo was really slow with hardware, especially then. So Space World would come and go. You saw Mario 64. You're like, oh my god, this looks amazing. But that was that. Now Sega, Sega was first out of the gate and it was extremely expensive. And I'm going to be honest, as a Sega fan, I was terribly disappointed when I got home and put the Sega Saturn in because arcades were still a thing for me. I had still, I mean, I had, I had decreased the amount of time because I was already working, but I was really disappointed. I was like, man, these games look like, for lack of a better term, they look like ass. I'm like, this is not, this is not what I, I had expected. And 
Panzer Dragoon was the first one, like, was a great launch title, was the best launch title, actually, because Virtua Fighter and Daytona were just, what the F, like, so that left a really bad taste in my mouth that took a while for it to go away, but it was the Sony PlayStation that changed everything to me. This, to me, was the beginning of the end of my fanboyism, because... I I had never seen anything like Resident Evil. I still have. I've shown it in 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 videos. I'm sure the long box version of Resident Evil, and that was what changed that one game. Again, can't be understated how that one game changed everything to me. And I mean that, like it it changed what video games meant because it was the first time in my life. I experienced something that actually scared me. Like, I actually jumped. I, and it was the very first scare that I ever got was when I turned around to leave the mansion and that damn dog jumps, you know, just like his head flies at the screen and then the door slams shut. I almost pitched my controller at the friggin' TV. <laughs> I remember it vividly, sitting in the basement of the old duplex and my brother and I looking at each other going, what the hell was that? With those really crappy PlayStation 1 manettes there with uh, the ones that didn't, well, sorry, uh, controllers, the ones that didn't have the uh, analog sticks. And I just remember, like, I, I didn't even know how to play, you know? Like, you press left and right and your character is stationary and just turns left and right and all this. So it's it's super cumbersome. And it feels like crap, and I get scared shitless, and I look at my brother and I'm like, this is the future. And we basically stayed up, like, all night uh, going through that that game, and it, it changed everything. And suddenly, the N64, the hype that I had for the N64 was never the same after that night. And now that's not to say that like, oh, the N64 was garbage. No, not at all. It's just, it's like, it's hard to explain this. It's like another company came along and was like, well, you were looking forward so much to your Zeldas and your Marios and your Metroids and your, you know, all this stuff. Well, here's something brand new that you've never experienced before. And I would have that experience again with the original Tomb Raider and many of those early PlayStation 1 video games did that. Like, they just changed my expectation of what I was expecting. And then when Final Fantasy VII came out, that was the end. That was really the end of it for me. Like, that's when I was just like, what the hell? Like, this company, Sony, has has taken my love of video games and just transformed it. But I don't want to get too far ahead because I'd like to talk about the launch of the N64. So, while I was slowly changing my i guess my taste or i was maturing my my taste or i don't know what it whatever was happening to me when mario 64 launched with the n64 i picked up mario i picked up pilot wings i'll be honest i don't think i ever touched pilot wings <laughs> like i i barely played it because mario was just incredible it really was it was for me it was not mario 3 it was not Super Mario Brothers, it was not Mario 2, and it was not Super Mario World or Yoshi's Island, but it was something else. It was this 
this weird, like, super fun game where I, I felt like I could explore. It, it almost took what I loved about A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening and threw that into a Mario game. Like, it, it's hard to explain. And I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. But what happens when you finish the game? And this is where everything fell apart. And it's the truth. I mean, this is where legitimately my love affair with Nintendo would slowly collapse. Because as good as the N64 was, it absolutely paled in comparison to what the PlayStation 1 was doing, in my opinion, okay? I want to stress that, in my opinion. When I had played Ocarina of Time, as much as I adore that game, one of my favorite games of all time, you got to go back and think of all the games that were being released on the PlayStation at that time. You had Metal Gear Solid, you had Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, you had even games like Fear Effect, which might be, might, you know, not be the, some masterpiece, but they were doing things that no one had done before, where you had a full motion video that you could interact with, like Resident Evil, but the backgrounds were full motion video. So there were all these little intricate details that I thought was just sick. Then Gran Turismo comes out, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Games like Heart of Darkness, The Legend of Dragoon, and so on and so forth. I'm not even talking about Castlevania, Alundra, Crash, or, or any of these games. And it's where everything changed for me. Because no matter how good Nintendo was during the N64, I found that there was almost always something, not necessarily better, but different. Something unique that was offered on the PlayStation. And of course I would still jump back to the Sega Saturn whenever there were the big exclusives that were released. But let's be honest, that system basically had a year and a half of life before she vanished completely. And so, yeah, so there you go. All right, so basically what what you were saying was that, in your opinion, the N64 was a disappointment to you, right? Because, like, you, you mentioned quickly that Mario 64 came out, but after that, how much time did it take between that and Ocarina of Time? Because, well, I'm sure you could debate there were other games on it. Like, it's, like you were saying, the PlayStation 1 seems to have receive game after game after game after game after game while the N64 were went on for a huge period of times with droughts. Yeah, so pretty much, man. Um, I, I don't like to say disappointment in one sense, and that one sense is that because my tastes in games were changing, it's... Like, in hindsight, yes, okay? So, like, if I were to say it today, I'd say absolutely the N64 was a colossal disappointment for me. But at the time, while you're playing Crashes and you're playing, you know, Symphony of the Night and you're playing all these other games, it's hard to say, well, I was disappointed in Nintendo because I was too busy playing all these other games. You know what I mean? And so... Yeah, I mean, today, yes, absolutely. And the the big thing for me was I was not a fan of GoldenEye 007. I just, I didn't like the way it controlled. And so that, when you remove that, that's a big, big deal. Because that means from 1996 until 1998, late 1998, I barely had anything 
to play on the N64. Yes, there were a couple of games. Like, I think Mario Kart had come out in between that time. But 97's GoldenEye, I missed. I was not a fan of that. My younger brother was a fan of that, but not me. I, I wasn't a fan. So he took over the N64, and while he, I basically gave him to him, um, for that time period, I was busy playing Resident Evil 2, like, that came out in February, I think, or January, February of 1998, and, like, that game changed my life, man, that was, that, to this day, remains one of the greatest games ever made, two scenarios, and then how, having that dude, whatever the hell his name was, chasing you in the second uh, playthrough, that was amazing absolutely amazing but the n64 will go down in history as one of the best systems ever made in the sense of the games that did come out for it were absolutely revolutionary however no metroid that's what kept irking me was that where the hell was my metroid game uh all right sorry man just keep talking a bit i'll be right back (laughs) maybe talking about resident evil yeah, yeah, no problem. So the other thing that um, the other thing that kind of happened to me wasn't just about Metroid's vanishing. There was also the fact that we had received three excellent Final Fantasy games. Although Final Fantasy VIII, I'm not a huge fan of that whole junction system. The fact was that when it came out, it was pretty sick game. But I was still looking forward to Dragon Warrior. At the time, it's still called Dragon Warrior. And I wasn't sure, like, was this going to appear on the N64? Was this going to appear on the PlayStation? When they finally announced that it was coming to the PlayStation and that it was actually going to get released, that made me even more excited. And the final product wasn't exactly amazing in the sense that, you know, it looked really, really outdated. But it was still a super fun game, but man, brutally, brutally hard for its time of release like to find those damn fragments took forever but the other thing with the playstation was i felt that they just kept pushing boundaries and kept pushing these different types of games like dino crisis we take this for granted today but dino crisis was awesome man it was really really awesome to have a game like that you had games like um oh what was it called klonoa was that it no, not Klonoa. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking of Tomba. That's it. Tomba was the one. There was Kodelka. There was... I'm just looking at my PlayStation games I have above my head here. Even Lunar, you know, getting Sega CD games to come back. The advent of the role-playing game as we know it today, like the popularity of role-playing games as we know it today, that all stemmed from the original PlayStation Without Final Fantasy VII, I doubt very much that we would have all of these, you know, these games that we have today. So it's like, you know, the N64, I will always remember for Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time. I will always remember it for that. But with the PlayStation, it's like, I remember that for like, it may not be the invention of it or the advent of it, but to me, I remember the PlayStation 1 as basically introducing me to mature theme games and the worldwide popularity of a genre that I had loved, role-playing games. And then for the Saturn, I always remember that as like the complete underdog, and it was a really fun arcade machine. But that was the whole problem with the Sega Saturn, was the fact that it catered to an arcade market that was pretty much dead by the time it was released. All right, well, perfect. Uh, Sorry for that. So... I missed some of that, but that, that's all right. I think you just resume all three systems. So, 
This will be interesting now because we'll move to the PS2, GameCube, Dreamcast, and Xbox era, which is right about the same time that uh, we met on the Insider Forums. I believe that was right before or right after the GameCube launch. So, in this case, I believe the PlayStation 2 launched first, uh, maybe a year before everybody else, right? But still, I'm pretty sure you were coming out of the PS1 surprising you that way. I'm pretty sure you were really looking forward to the PlayStation 2 when it came out, which... uh, Was it in 2001? Okay, so... Uh, first things first, the the first system to come out of the gate was in 9999, which was the Dreamcast. And I remember that because it launched the exact same day as Final Fantasy VIII. So keep that in mind, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls that are listening, the Dreamcast went head-to-head against Final Fantasy VIII. Not nine, not all these other games that came out after, but... Final Fantasy VIII. It was released on September 9th, 1999. And I remember going to Walmart, picking up, I had reserved the Dreamcast, and holding it at the cash, paying for it, and turning around to a friend of mine saying, this is already dead. I kid you not, that is a true story where my friend's like, then why the hell are you buying this? And I'm like, because there's a new Sonic game and it looks absolutely awesome. And while I would enjoy Sonic Adventure, I spent literally every waking moment with Soul Calibur because it was just so awesome. And it's sad, but that premonition of what I said would eventually come to fruition and it would happen. And in 2000, that is when the year of our Lord, 2000, is when the PlayStation 2 hit. And to say I was excited for the PlayStation 2 is an understatement. The PlayStation 2 would be the final console that I ever legitimately was like, oh my god, this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I never got that feeling for any other console ever again. I never did. Not not to that degree, because, like you said, the PlayStation 1 was the biggest surprise in my video game history. I did not expect a company to come in and just dominate the way they dominated. But then when the PS2 was announced, and not only was literally every single man, woman, and child on board that was on board with a PS1, because let's face it, why wouldn't you be, right? But then they added three little words, not words, three little letters to the PlayStation 2 that excited me like you wouldn't believe. And you know what those letters are? Is a DVD? Amen, sister. So, <laughs> DVD was all the rage, man. Like, that was the perfect time. Because at this point in time, DVD players were still very expensive. And I became the first person, this is just before I moved out, I became the first person in my household to have a DVD player. So I became like, uh, I was, I was very important to my family. <laughs> they were like, this is wicked. We don't have to rewind movies. Glorious. <laughs> like, so the PlayStation 2 had an awful launch. I'll never forget that. But I will also never forget going and buying Gladiator, going and buying Blade and other movies like that, having everyone around with surround sound. And we were all just like, this is amazing. 
And for the first, like, year of that system's life, I can't even tell you which games were released because we pretty much used that exclusively as a DVD player and a PlayStation 1 because PlayStation 1 games were still being released at that particular point in time. Not not to the, you know, not to that extent, but the the PS2 had, like, smoothing capabilities, so I went back and played tons of games. I played uh, Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, the Resident Evil trilogy, and so on and, and so forth. And it was the following year, in 2001, when we got the Nintendo GameCube and the original Xbox, and it would have been around this time when we all got together for the insider forums would have been somewhere in this ballpark of these two to three years. And I was very much looking forward to the GameCube, but I was at this point, I was very skeptical. I I was basically at this point, I had become the Jared that you all know and hate. And I was like, they're launching a purple lunchbox. You've got to be kidding me. But I was super excited that they were moving to CDs, so that was good. Like an optical media, I was very, very pleased about. And Microsoft, I won't lie, was completely written off for me. Like just completely, completely written off. Microsoft's is the funniest story of all because it would it would take me a, a little while to get into that system. And it was all due to my brother. My brother was like, I want to, uh, like, he came over and was like, I want to play something. He's like, do we have any games that we could play, like, you know, like Turtles in Time? Like, I want to relive those memories. And so we ordered a pizza, and I was like, well, I I don't know, like, uh, everything's single player these days, you know? Like, I I don't know. So we're looking and looking and looking, and we stumble across this game, Halo Combat Evolved, and flip it over and like, oh, this, yeah, this has co-op. And that was the, uh, that was, that was the end of that. <laughs> we became absolutely obsessed going through that story mode. We played it on like normal or easy and then, you know, kept ramping up the difficulty until we finished the game on legendary. And it was crazy. It was like every weekend he'd be over and we'd be playing nonstop over and over and over and over again. GameCube, my memories with GameCube were on the insider forums, constantly arguing with people, like, because obviously you had tons of fanboys, and I was trying to be, like, the voice of reason to some of these people, to be like, like, it's okay, they, they don't need to be number one, and yeah, some of these decisions that they're doing are stupid, but there were there were some really good games, and I won't I will never lie about this, that when they showed Wind Waker for the first time, I, I pretty much died a little bit on the inside. And I've lived, in, I've lived to regret that because in, in hindsight, that game has aged absolutely incredibly well. And yeah, the, the whole ending there, like going and picking up the shards and stuff was, you know, kind of like mundane and boring, but that game still looks beautiful to this very day. And, and I was wrong. I was I was wrong about that. It's just that I was so excited when they showed that at Space World, that, you know, super detailed Zelda game. I was like, my God, this is awesome. And then they come out and show Wind Waker, and you're just like, what is this? But I will always remember GameCube because of its quality games. PS2 literally was PS1 to me all over again. It really was. And the fact that it played DVDs made it even better. 
Dreamcast was like the little system that could. Again, a lot of emphasis on arcade platforms and stuff like that. Uh, not arcade platforms, but arcade titles. The Marvel vs. Capcom series. I already mentioned uh, Soul Calibur. But Capcom was like my savior on that platform. They released so many awesome games that it's it's sad thinking back that the Dreamcast just really just couldn't get to where it needed to get to. GameCube is always going to be remembered for having some awesome games, absolutely awesome games. And the Xbox is always going to be remembered for me anyways for just a series of games, Knights of the Old Republic and um, Halo. Those two games, for me, define the Xbox. Uh, I've noticed something uh, when we're talking, uh, asking you questions and stuff, and that you're always talking about the console... Uh, I know you you bought Game Boys and probably you bought Game Gears and stuff like that, but you, like when you talked about 1998 earlier in uh, Metal Gear Solid and Ocarina of Time, you didn't glance, you didn't talk about Pokemon. Uh, when we talk about the GameCube, the PlayStation 2, you're not talking about the Game Boy Advance. Even though you had those, is it fair to say that they did not? Uh, take much of your time back in the day oh yeah absolutely uh, but we've been we've been over that yeah uh, we, we, we we've been over that but i'm supposed to be a neutral <laughs> interviewer <laughs> who've never seen you before <laughs> so okay, yeah i just perfect. want just no, want no, you to talk I'll, about I'll, that part exactly. of your life I'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, basically, it started in 1989 with the original Game Boy. I still have it. I have the original box with the original everything. Um, a little bit of a freak like that. And I picked that up because it was a new Nintendo thing. And me and Nintendo things, we, we, we get together, baby. Just like the Virtual Boy. I still have my original launch model of the Virtual Boy because that's who I am. But the Game Boy for me was Tetris was Link's Awakening. And interestingly enough, this is probably a little known fact, Mega Man. Those those three things is what I played on the Game Boy. Not the uh, Super, what is it, Mario Land series. Uh, I started to play the Wario games, like right at the end there. What, what was the last one? Wario Land, Super Mario Land? Yeah, Two, Super Mario three. Land 3 was called Wario Land. Wario Land, okay, so that one. That one I played... Um, but honestly, it was Link's, Link's uh, Awakening. Oh, and Metroid Two. Those were those were my my like go tos. But you can see, in comparison to the way I spoke about the NES and the Genesis and all of that, you can you can you should be able to hear it in my voice that the passion just wasn't there. Link's Awakening, I think, is one of the greatest games ever made. The fact that that's on Game Boy is is just mind blowing to me. Never got into Pokemon until this guy introduced me to it like two years ago or a year ago or whatever. Uh, so that that's negated. I just played on the TV. Now, Game Boy Color I picked up because Link's Awakening DX was there, so I had to have that. Game Boy Advance was where was slowly where it started. Game Gear I had uh, that was actually a gift someone got, and I hated the screen. Even though it was in color and whatever, it was this blurry mess. So I was never a huge fan of Game Gear because of that. And also the fact that, you know, it took like a nuclear power plant to run the damn thing. Um, but Game Boy Advance was where it, where it started for me in terms of portables. Now, I don't mean 
like, oh, well, I, I, you know, I spent all my time there. But again, I had been working now. So when Game Boy Advance was out, I could buy the games I wanted. Games like Golden Sun, uh, the, the Mario Advance series, of course, Zelda, and so on and so forth. So I had started to to play a little bit more. There was also the Neo Geo Pocket Color was out, and I loved that thing for its fighters and Neo Geo games. But really, I'd say that like my 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 time with portables started to increase with the Game Boy Advance SP. I still have that damn thing just in the corner over there because I I thought that was to this day I still think that was the greatest system nintendo's ever made for its functionality ease of use beautiful design i i love that thing just a little clamshell slap it in your back pocket and away you go i thought that was absolutely brilliant and then from there was the big war between the psp and the ds and we know all the rest today i do the exact opposite of what i did back then which was today i primarily play Portables like the Nintendo Switch and the 3DS are my two go-to platforms right now because it, it's the only thing I can do. I, I just don't have time to sit in front of a television and play anymore. Okay, so we've quickly glossed over the PlayStation 2, GameCube, Xbox era, and I think we should probably finish with the. PS3, Wii, and Xbox 360 era because we are living the current era, so no point in talking about that. So, uh, and I told you guys that the PlayStation 2 launched earlier, but the next generation would be different with Microsoft opting yep. to launch the 360 a year earlier and really capitalizing on that. And I remember, I don't want to include myself too much into this discussion here because it's about you, but I remember that for me, the 360, the 360 was a life changer. And I remember that back in the day, you were still pretty much uh, sticking to the PS3 mostly. I know you had a 360, you were playing it, but I remember every time there was a third-party game, even though most of your friends or me was playing on the 360, you would pick up the PS3 just by uh, instinct. So were you still a big Sony guy back then? And what did you think? Also about the, we'll get to the Wii later, but the 360 in general. Okay, so the 360, I'm the reason why my friends have a 360. They would argue with me and everything, but they're full of crap. Because I got a launch model of the 360 uh, just because. Uh, that was what I was doing. I was buying everything under the sun. And what the hell, I can't, I just can't think of it, man. What was the boxing game? The first Fight boxing night game round is it that? Fight night? Talking, Fight night round? I'm not sure. Okay, well, maybe anyways. it's not Fight Night. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it is, but yeah. It was the one with like the the slow motion when you punched and all the the skin would like you know move and all that crap. That game convinced like five people to buy an Xbox 360 because they all came over and they're like, "This is sick." For me, the Xbox 360 was the tied me over until the PlayStation 3 because, again, it wasn't the games of the PS3 that were doing it for me. It was the Blu-ray. The fact that Blu-ray was going to be featured, I was like, this is sick. The fact that it had a PlayStation 2 and a PlayStation 1 built in, I won't lie. I was certainly excited, but never not to the extent 
of uh, of the PlayStation Two, like nowhere near that. And the 360 in in that generation was certainly, if you look at the amount of time I spent playing games, it would be on the 360. There's no question about that. Like no question. If there's an internal clock, for sure. Because of certain titles like Bioshock. Bioshock was the game that really did it for me. That was where I was like, holy shit. Like, this is absolutely... To this day, it's it's like in my top five games of all time, if you ask me today. Um, Because I I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. But you're right. I had a, a tendency of purchasing, you know, different third party games or whatever on the ps3 for the simple sake of of habit i think it was more than anything but in because the for end, those just just a quick those that might not remember it was really a well-regarding fact back then that the ps3 version would always inferior. be inferior yep and that's not really what you would think now to this day but back then for some reason, I don't remember, devs used to develop for the Xbox 360 primarily and then port it over to yep. the PS3. And yep. we'd usually end up with a inferior version. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, and it was a lot to do with the architecture of the PlayStation 3, which is why when they announced the PS4, it was such a big deal that they were moving away from proprietary architecture. The Xbox 360's secret, if you will, is that it was basically a PC. They made a play, like a PC that was just in a shell for your TV and it was brilliant and it worked. It, it absolutely worked. And today, right beside me, I have three boxes of Xbox 360 games and one box of PlayStation 3 games. So that sort of tells you where the system ended up in the global scheme of things. And it's just, it's funny because, like, that generation was also where I had slowed down in relation to the generations before that like work was starting to get busier i was getting promoted into higher positions so i couldn't put as much time that was that was that period was actually the worst period in my gaming history of wasting money was that generation i would buy so many games that to this day are most likely sealed in those boxes i'm talking about right now and it's funny because the highlight of that whole generation for me has got to be bioshock like that has to be i don't know why but that game got me so much i i i don't know why like for everyone else it'll be call of duty modern warfare and stuff like that uh, or maybe like halo 3 or something but for me it's bioshock that was really that was really something and i would like to talk about the wii if i can yeah go ahead okay so the wii is is the anomaly of all anomalies. So like coming off of the the GameCube, there's there's part of me that never stopped being a Nintendo fan. I don't think I'll ever stop being a Nintendo fan. It's just like my hopes had been crushed time and time and time again. And I was so wrong with the DS that I didn't know what to expect with the Wii. I just didn't know. I was like, is this thing gonna, you know, get like destroyed by the competition because it certainly seems that way but the ds which was released first right or am i getting this backwards uh yeah the ds yeah 
Yeah, okay. And so the DS, like, just dominated. And I was certain. I was certain that that was going to be the end of Nintendo. That the PSP was going to come out and wreck face. And I was so wrong that when the Wii came out, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to talk about this. Um, I, we played it at E3, and it was okay. It was It was fun. But when I got it home, played Wii Sports, had a blast. But... Then something happened, and it was like I just didn't enjoy all the Weigel stuff, and and that actually would stay for the entire duration of, of that system's life. I just didn't enjoy the... I, I, well, I don't want to say it, but it, it, like the gimmick, I didn't, I really didn't enjoy that. And yet, when Skyward Sword came out, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely awesome. And it's weird because now history, people like Zelda fans are like, oh, Skyward Sword is one of the worst Zeldas ever. And I sit back and I'm like, was I hallucinating? Because like, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, Skyward Sword, the thing about it is it came five years into the Wii's life cycle. I always said that it took them five years to finally master motion controls because I too, like you, adore Skyward Sword. And I believe the problem with Skyward Sword, it has a very, very long like tutorial, if you want. It takes about three hours to get it to the first dungeon. And it takes that, that long until they finally just let you free. And you're free to move by yourself and play the damn game instead of tutorials 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 so i believe most people did not really give that game a proper chance and then again three hours is a pretty long time to give a game a chance so i don't blame them but i i do agree with you that skyward sword is for me it's probably one of my favorite 3d zelda games and it just the only problem with it like i said is the the intro is so long i i tried to replay it a few years ago and just could not because of that yeah, so that's pretty much that. I mean, I think we're we're pretty good. Uh, I don't know if there's any other questions you had, uh, like because I'm trying to think of if I had any other comments to say. But the Wii was like hands down for me, like the biggest disappointment since Virtual Boy. Really, the Wii U was a better platform to me, and I know that some people are like, "What? What are you crazy? It sold like two million units." But seriously, like the games that were on the Wii U, I enjoyed. All right, so that that's pretty cool. Now we have a pretty good idea of your gaming history. If you listen to this back to back, maybe, uh, and this is gonna put you out of your comfort zone. I know it, so I'm sorry, Jared, but I'm gonna ask you this. Maybe as a final way to end this, I would ask you to rank your top five consoles. Uh, sure. Let me just grab a piece of paper so that I don't forget anything. And you don't have to use like a complicated metric mathematics. No, 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 no. The top three systems are already done. It's just four and five that I have to think of. Uh, probably something like this. All right. So you want me to go backwards? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So number five, I think, would be the uh, Genesis. That, for its time, I mean, I've already spoken at great lengths about all of these things, but I think for its time, that was so much better than the NES. And if you bought that when it came out in 1989, 
it really did floor your mind. Like it was, it was an incredible, incredible system. My number four is the PlayStation Two. I think uh, it links up perfectly with everything that I've just been talking about. The multimedia aspects was really the first system to me that blurred the lines between a toy and an entertainment system. For years before that, video games were always toys, toys, toys. But suddenly we had people going out and buying a PS2 because it played DVD movies. And I loved that aspect of it. I really, really did. And it also, in the end, it would end up with so many games, man. I I, I didn't even talk about like Grand Theft Auto 3 and, and all that stuff. But just amazing. Just amazing. My number three would be the NES. The NES doesn't really need any any introductions or anything. The NES was really one of the, like, it is. It's one of the greatest systems of all time. And it could very easily, these three, by the way, could very easily interchange with one another depending on the uh, time of the week. But all three of these systems will always be in my uh, top three, always. So number two is the PlayStation 1 for everything that I just said today. So what's my number one? Yes, it is. Yep, the that's exactly it. I could have and guessed then, your top three. Yeah, of course. Like uh, there's the the that's what I had in my mind. I, the, the fourth and fifth one, especially the Genesis, I, I wouldn't have guessed it. But yeah, top three, I had a pretty good idea. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's any surprise given my history. I don't think that's any surprise at all. And there you have it. So I guess that's it. You want to say the goodbye comments and make everyone cry? <laughs> No, I'm just uh, I'm just glad uh, we did this. Uh, especially, I hope people who did not get a chance to listen to part one will do so, and hopefully one day we'll do we'll do mine. And I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, maybe Jared could say a final final goodbye. Oh, yeah, we should do you next. That sounds terrible, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll do Steven next, people. Giggity, giggity. Uh, and that's, uh, that's that. This was really fun. I really enjoyed doing this one and the last one. I'd have to write down a couple of questions for you because, uh, you're younger than me. So you're, <laughs> but, but, but. This is very, this was very hard too because it's different than a regular podcast because I have to ask the questions and then fight the, because sometimes what we do is we, we go back and forth, right? But in this case, the, the role of an interviewer, or at least what they say when I, I used to go to a journalist class and stuff, is to ask the questions. And you're not the, you're not part of the story, but it's hard sometimes to just lay there. I remember the part one we had. A, you had a, I ask you a hard question about the Genesis, and you you had a pretty cool uh, answer. But I would have liked to give my, but it wasn't. It, you'll see when you do when you do this. You'll see that it's. It's quite different than our usual uh, podcast, but it was fun. Yeah, for sure. And and I know it's going to be hard for me to shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I know you. Because <laughs> this, this the highlight of these also was that a lot of times when I would ask you a question, you would just go back like 20 years and give us the complete history of the, dino, the dinosaurs and talk about something else. And you basically could have done this entire video without me. I was just there for... Uh, for my sexy voice. Exactly. Moral support. But you know what will be cool with yours is that we're going to have such a huge emphasis on portable. Oh, yeah. It's so, going to be completely different, especially since uh, 
like I never got anything on day one until I believe the GameCube, basically. Because I like back then you didn't know what was out. Like when a char- when a link to the past came out, I was still playing uh, Super Mario Brothers three and thought that was just released. I thought that that was the the, the last game released. So when I found out that the link to the past was a thing, like I flipped out. But by then it was already like three years old or whatnot. So it's gonna be funny. And of yeah, course, Pokemon is pretty much it's gonna be a Pokemon history. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what I'm expecting. I'm gonna ask you one question. You're gonna do the exact thing I did, except instead of dinosaurs, it'll be about Pokemon, <laughs> which are similar, <laughs> similar exactly. creatures. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you in two weeks, and we'll see if it'll be, uh, in theory, it's going to be a Nintendo Fanboys, but we'll see uh, what happens here, because I know Steven's dying to follow up with this uh, whole IGN plagiarism guy there, Philip, whatever his name is, so we'll see uh, We'll see what we do uh, next. So thanks for joining, everybody. We'll catch you later.